As continuing our discussion then of what is called a my or dependence, which Takeo Doi describes as the key characteristic defining Japanese, and you might say that a my is uh, uh, the child rearing practice, you know, it's the dependence upon mother. But the thing that I'm tracing and continuing to tell in the story of Yukio Mishima. Uh, is how this dependence, this amai, this amayadu, actually works itself out as a kind of moral masochism. Uh, in biblical terms, a, a, a living death that is so well articulated by Mishima, and much of his stuff is very difficult to read, uh, precisely because it it is true to this uh, undoing of the self. Uh, there are sections of Mishima that uh, he's describing the you know his own uh, development. He he seems to be peculiarly aware of his own development sexually, his own homosexual development, his autoeroticism um, that. Uh, is pornographic in nature, but it's an odd kind of pornographic in that uh, it is just his daydreams. It's nothing ever really happens. Um, and in Confessions of a Mask, which is his novel in which he describes much of this and describes his own love affair, again, nothing happens. This is Freud's picture of the masochist, the masochist cannot have erotic pleasure uh, without simultaneously suffering for it. And Mishima uh, just continually emphasizes, you know, he falls in love with Sunoko, uh, but he cannot have an ordinary relationship. It's made impossible. And Mishima describes this impossibility, which is quite unusual that someone is this self-aware. He describes how I, as an adult, uh, you know, the two, two guy, the I, he, he's very aware here of him, him being pitted against himself, the voice of his father, over and against the his his own I, and of course the adult self is just his cathexis of his father's voice. He said this voice would kick in at the sight of an attractive girl. So that whenever I would begin to imagine that I was in love with a girl, the spiteful fatigue, he describes this tiredness, uh, would begin to clog my mind. And then next I would find delight in regarding myself as a person ruled by reason and would satisfy my glorious desire to an, appear an adult by likening my frigid and changeable emotions to those of a man who has grown weary from a surfeit of women. Uh, this could come right out of Freud's picture of a kind of tired, uh, you know, disinterestedness that is the rise in Freudian theory of the punishing superego. If you thought of it in biblical terms, the punishing voice of the law, the law of the mind, you know, in Romans 7, over and against the eye. Uh, 
you know, a lot of uh, confessions of the mask, a lot of uh, what he's describing later in Sun and Shield then is the outworking of this masochism. This, what Freud says is a sense of guilt uh, that finds expression in masochistic fantasies. And it's these masochistic fantasies that uh, either uh, Mishima pictures happening to someone else or his participation in it. It's always a little vague, but of course it's uh, uh, Freud's point is that sadism and masochism are often very much intermixed with one another. You know, he, in one scene he pictures one of his school friends being cooked for dinner and it's uh, it, it's hard reading, uh, but it's typical, you know, uh, idea of a, a masochistic or sadomasochistic fantasy. Uh, Freud says the subject assumes that he has committed some crime, the nature of which is left indefinite, which is to be expiated by all these painful and tormenting procedures. And this is almost word for word Mishima's picture of his always suffering under a sense of guilt and I think this the amai or this dependence is itself an expression of what Freud will come to call an unconscious guilt that is there is a suffering an unconscious suffering is elicited uh, from some place or for some reason that you can't get a handle on. And Mishima is perhaps better at articulating this than anyone I've come across. He explains that I had never had the slightest wish to see a woman's naked body. So at the hint of a passion, a sudden tiredness would take over and delight would be, you know, I would be too adult for such, you know, childlike erotic pleasures. And there's a couple of Japanese words here that enter into to Mishima's description. Tatamai is the presentation of the outward self, or uh, if you think of it in terms of superego, or what in the confessions of the mask, this is the mask. Uh, and in Freudian terms, it is the the mask from you know that the Oedipus complex, the idea of castration of and Mishima describes this in some detail. Sunoko, the true love of his life, brings on the strongest reactions in which he, as he's attracted to her, he feels grief and almost a morbidity or remorse. He says each second. While I watch Sunoko approach, and his mother, by the way, describes this part of Confessions of the Mask as most autobiographical. I was attracted by un, uh, uh, rather, he says, I was attacked by unendurable grief. It was a feeling such as I had never had before. Grief seemed to undermine and set tottering and uh, the foundations of my existence. My heart had never been swayed, uh, and at first glance, uh, the deep and unexplainable grief takes over. A grief 
that was no part of the mask, no part of the masquerade. He says, I was conscious that the feeling was one of remorse. He, he describes it, he says, I felt like I had committed a sin for which I should be remorseful, uh, although it's a, it's a contradiction in that there is, it's a remorse that precedes sin. And this is, this is Mishima's description, but it describes the moral masochism that one comes into consciousness having committed a crime or a sin, that in one's very existence there's the sense of, uh, of, of sinfulness. And of course sin is the, Mishima may use this word on occasion, uh, but it's not a word that uh, is present in Japanese. He's actually using the word uh, crime here, that in some way he felt himself to be a criminal. Was it remorse at the very fact, he asked, that I existed? Had the sight of her called out to me and awakened this remorse? Or was my feeling nothing but a presentiment of sin? And so this grief or remorse, it coincides with what Takeo Doi, the psychoanalyst, describes as Kuyamu and Freud's notion of guilt. It is guilt that is driving the force to masochism, but it is not a conscious sense of guilt, but the desire to be mistreated by the superego, or in some way to succumb to the punishments of the father. The subject assumes that he has committed some crime, Freud says, the nature of which is left indefinite, and that he must be punished. Freud qualifies him himself, explains that guilt uh, may not be the proper tar- term, but as far as the patient or the analyzant, as uh, the psychoanalyst will refer to, is uh, as long as far as they're concerned, the sense of guilt is dumb. It does not tell him he is guilty; rather, as Mishima describes it, there is a sense of remorse, or as Freud. Uh, would put it a kind of mourning and you know mourning and melancholy as uh, the way he describes it is in the title of an article mourning takes place just as if someone had died in fact a loss as in death has occurred it is the ego Freud says the I in some way that is being mourned there is an impoverishment of his ego on a grand scale, Freud says. He feels incapable of love. He really is as lacking an interest and as incapable of love and achievement as he says. But Freud says this is secondary, this idea to the, it is the effect of the internal work which is consuming his ego. And this is, you know, the two things go together in Mishima. He's describing these masochistic fantasies that are death-dealing either in in regard to himself or in regard to his close friends or erotic partners. And it is, at the same time, the uh, outward manifestation, 
you know, of a, a distant interest in the opposite sex, an inward consumption, uh, the superego punishing the ego. Mishima's eye uh, wants to love Sunoko, but every time he imagines that he is in love, this remorse or grief takes over. And in this, I'm, I'm never sure, you know, if psychoanalysis has entered into Japan, and I don't know the degree uh, to which Mishima may have been familiar with it, it was never very popular uh, among most people, but there was a, you know, a, a psychoanalytic society in both Tokyo and Osaka, and Freud was very pleased to have these psychoanalytic societies because, you know, part of the problem of, uh, he felt, in uh, psychoanalysis had been primarily a Jewish science, he says, and Japanese were some of the, you know, here's a whole nation of non-Jews that have taken up this science. And it's almost that uh, I, I don't think Mishima is doing this consciously, but it follows this picture of moral masochism to such a degree that it is a kind of confirmation of what both Freud is saying and what Doi is saying. But of course, that's not the same thing. Uh, they're both describing the same, or all three are describing the same thing. Uh, Doi, though, is privileging the Amayadu. He's saying that this is the prototypical Japanese understanding, uh, sense of self. And he's saying that one needs this to live. Freud in describing the death drive, and I think that's all that Amayadu is, is he, there is a bit of ambiguity in Freud in that first he thought the whole point of psychoanalysis is to get beyond the death drive or to manipulate it or cure it. And as he recognizes the strength and all pervasiveness of the death drive, uh, he comes to conclu the conclusion that analysis may in fact offer no cure, and so he writes the article analysis, terminable or interminable. And his point is that what he calls this witch, this death drive, uh, may in fact just plague the human conscience so that ego, superego, arise with the sort of conflict uh, maybe not to the extremes that Mishima is dry, uh, uh, de depicting it, but I think that what we could say is Mishima is depicting a peculiar manifestation of the death drive as we have it in Japan. But the Japanese uh, experience is not unique as Japanese would have it. But this depiction is that of a universal experience. Mishima says, I was suddenly, I was overwhelmed by the idea that I was in love with Sunoko and that a world in which Sunoko and I both did not live was not worth a penny to me. Something inside told me that if I could forget her, I'd better do so. And immediately as though it had been lying in wait, that grief overcomes him. It undermined, he says, the foundations of my existence. 
and he describes this grief a couple of times in Confessions of a Mask uh, in, in the same way that he just feels undone by this mourning or this melancholy, this, this grief. Uh, what I think Freud and maybe Mishima also he, later in uh, Sun and Shield he'll describe him, himself, his ego being eaten away like so many you know, ants eating a pole or a piece of wood. And so he's very aware that there is a kind of self-consumption in this masochistic experience that he has. He says ordinary happiness is not something that he can feel. He can't, he feels he can't deserve such happiness and it seems to be something that he will have to pay for. Surely, I thought, he says, we do not deserve even a little happiness. Or perhaps we had acquired the bad habit of regarding even a little happiness as a big favor, which we would have to repay. And so happiness is the forbidden fruit. He says, it's tempting me with a melancholy persistence. And Sunoko, the young you know, girl, the young virgin, compares in Mishima's thoughts to Juliet. She intoxicates him and he yearns to declare his love. But she also poses some undefined psychic danger. Uh, you know, here is happiness, here is true love. He says, I felt as though Sunoko were an abyss above which I stood poised. She looked like life itself, yet it seemed to be a life that Mishima says he did not deserve. I was only too clearly aware that I had no right to hold such a beautiful spirit in my arms. And after the he in the novel, not really much happens, and this seems to be true to life. After the first kiss, he concludes, I must flee, I kept telling myself. Without a moment's delay, I must flee. And he spends several days and in the novel it takes up many pages and he kisses her again and he says he felt it was an incestuous immoral kiss I repeated the kiss he says for which I had so repented but this time it was like the kiss one gives his little sister and by just this much it did savor all the more of immorality and so he turns lukewarm in his feelings for Sunoco. This is, you know, the incapacity that Freud describes. An, an incapacity to connect, an incapacity to love, a kind of uh, alienation that one consciously or unconsciously is, is bringing on. He says he becomes disgusted with himself and he begins to contemplate death. And it would be better to die, he says, than become a lukewarm person, an unmanly person, a person who does not clearly know his likes and dislikes, a person who only wants only to be loved without knowing how to love. And maybe the figure of Mishima in the course of Mishima's life has to be you know, remembered here that he is at first a kind of playboy, a literary figure after in the pre-war period, 
Uh, but in various journals he writes, is there nothing worth dying for? And he longs, you know, to have the experience that many of his friends had in the war. They had laid down their lives in the cause of the emperor and so had attained a kind of enduring identity in death. And, of course, this is precisely Freud's death drive, but it's also the picture of a lie. And Mishima says that he felt he had missed out in not having a cause to die for and not having laid down his life for the emperor. And it's in this period that he begins bodybuilding and practicing, you know, various military uh, training uh uh, practicing the, with the samurai sword, and even uh, because of his celebrity status, the self-defense forces allows him and some of his men to, to train with the self-defense forces. And so there there is this outward thing, the mask, you know, that he's describing in confessions of a mask, but the mask is always hiding the underlying, you know, do you call it reality? I don't know, but uh, the underlying fact that he's working himself up to his own death. His, his bodybuilding, his sword you know, play, his militaristic attitude, his idea that we need to restore the emperor, uh, all of that is a kind of outward excuse for the inward journey that he's describing here in which he finds himself disgusting. Uh, and he says, I did not want to miss a single opportunity for, torment, for tor tormenting myself. And so I became an object of tragedy, he says. And as he contemplates suicide, and, and he rejects it at first, he comes to a new idea. Can there be such a thing in this world as a man who is jealous of the woman who loves him precisely because of her love? He's self-aware enough to realize I had to escape from her for the very reason that I did love her. And as Freud predicts, Mishima perceives the tragic turn of events as being driven by fate. Freud says this is, you know, this, this inevitability of the tragic turn of the masochistic suffering is always part of the feeling here. He says, I had long insisted upon interpreting the things that fate forced me to do as victories of my will and intelligence. And now this bad habit had grown into a sort of frenzied arrogance. In the nature of what I was calling my intelligence, there was a touch of something illegitimate, a touch of the sham pretender who has been placed on the throne by some freak chance. This dolt of a usurper could not foresee the revenge that would inevitably be wrecked upon his stupid despotism. And so there is this self-destructive logic that begins to unfold at this point. To get at fate, he must purge himself of fate's instruments. 
and that is intelligence. He must purge himself of his writing, of his use of intelligence. And so in a twisted kind of logic, he concludes that the way to dethrone this usurper, uh, to dethrone the self, will involve revenge. And this revenge will unfold as a full-blown moral masochism. And he explains this in his book, Sun and Steel. And I'll come to that in, in my next podcast.